Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Robbie talking about the sermon from January 17th, 2021. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay, and joining me per usual is Robert Otis. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I Does everybody know that's your middle name? Have they we, do now. Have we, have we covered that? I believe now everyone does. My, everyone listens to this podcast. My favorite thing is as long as we've been friends, you've had an email address that is rotis, starts with rotis. And for the longest time, I had no idea what that was. I just would say rotis. Yeah, his email is like rotis something or rotis. Uh-huh. And then I finally figured out that it it's was. It's not nearly as cryptic as it appears. No, it's not. It's not at all. So uh, I think everybody should know, Robbie, you are um, you are displaying some serious courage right now. You have captured my interest since I have no idea. Oh yes, you do. What you could possibly be you, you referring to? You are you have agreed to record this podcast. Yes. Even though you are famished. <laughs> You are barely hanging on to the threads of life. <laughs> I am indeed famished. And so you have agreed to do that because I said, we need to record the podcast. You said, but I'm hungry. You grabbed your lunch. And I said, you can't eat during the podcast. You said, but I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm skin and bones, Jay. You are skin and bones. I'm wasting away and you're going to deprive me this, of listen. lunch. I'm just saying, I think we can make it. We're Americans. I think we can make it. Although there are very few people that I know. Like that whole line of, I think I can afford to skip a meal, definitely applies to me, but not to you so much. No, not so much. You are, if people don't realize, you are the one who reads magazines to get tips on how to gain weight. That's correct. Which is a much smaller segment of our population, I think. It doesn't sell as many magazines. No, there's not. There's not a lot of magazines about that. Basically, it's just it's it's just whatever all of the magazines say. Do the opposite of that. Oh yeah, that's a good. That'd be really interesting. Can you imagine someone needing like, hey, I need tips on how to waste money. <laughs> I need to spend more money. I just can't figure it out. I can't figure out how to Some spend. Some things this money. come more naturally than others. I suppose. I feel like gaining weight comes naturally for most people, but not for you. Oh. Which is why. It's so heroic of you right now. <laughs> you have you have cast aside, and now I feel like I've stolen your reward from from you. I, I believe you have because you have announced it to everyone. The equivalent of of blaring a trumpet in the temple. Well, to be fair, I feel like you handed me the trumpet. Did I? You're like, should uh, I have assumed you I would suppose. begin talking about this as soon as we recorded? I suppose. How long have you known me? That's that is a fair point. Yeah. I should have known better. This like people don't realize we've been we used to record these on Tuesday. Correct. We and we stopped doing that because we're lazy and procrastinators. And speak for yourself. Okay. Though okay. in this case that's true. Yeah. All right. And then we said, no, we got to get back to doing that so that we do it while it's still fresh in our minds and we can move on to the other stuff in the week. And so I try to do that this morning and I get met with, but I'm hungry. And then we go to start to record it and somebody out there starts popping popcorn. 
Which imagine put for a, for just a moment, put yourself in my shoes, in that scenario. Food has been withheld from me. Right. And then someone starts popping delicious, not just popcorn. It smells. I may say, but kettle corn. Yes. Which is the greatest of all popcorns. Wait, was that why you were upset? I thought you were upset because of the noise. Well, also because it was a blatant violation of our please be quiet because we're recording the podcast sign. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. But also because I'm famished. That's a, man. You're like the you're like the person that now when you're seeing people walk around, they have like turkey drumsticks. That's exactly heads. right. That's exactly like right. Like a straight up Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. You're, you're just you're just a a delicious fried turkey walking around. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's not the first time I've been told that. So, uh, moving on, I need to address something from last week just very quickly. I did get a comment from someone who apologized for giving me the compliment thank you for speaking the truth oh which is not something normally people apologize for no nor um, nor should they no no but based on our conversation last week i did want to clarify that i'm not i'm not saying that speaking the truth now if you didn't listen to last week's podcast then maybe you'll go back um but i'm not saying that 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 is an insult to say to somebody Oh, I really appreciate you speaking the truth. Correct. What I'm saying is that it's that it's not the only thing that we should be looking for. And it should not be, that should not then cover, as it were, that should not be the thing that covers for a multitude of sins. Correct. Yes. It is not the highest conceivable compliment, right. but it is still a compliment. Yes. It's an important one, yes. too, I would, I would argue. And so I'm appreciative of that. Um, I, I, I think that, yeah. So anyway. We can we can move on from that, but I just wanted to make it clear that if anybody was saying, "Oh, I feel badly now because I said I appreciated the truth being proclaimed," like, no, no, no. <laughs> no don't no. feel badly about please that. Please continue to delight yes. in that. Yes, and and by all means, if I'm not doing that, please you know make sure that you're communicating that as well. But oh, we will. Oh, I know. Um, so all right, so that we take care of that. Now we can move on to this week. So let's do. I got to talk about. Hatred of the world, which is a weird heading. Do you ever find that as a weird heading for this passage? It's a little weird because it always I feel makes like me... it seems to be focusing a little bit on the negative rather than <laughs> the. Right? Well, I mean, we could go with Christ has overcome the world, but no, we go with ah, they're going to hate your guts. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that is Christ is actually going a little focusing a little bit on the hatred in that passage. So, but I I always look at it as like hatred of the world feels like an awkward phrase because it feels like we're supposed to hate the world by that heading, and that always bothers. Oh, interesting. Me. I've never that's never that's never occurred. Never read that that way. Okay. Well, I guess you're just better. The at hatred reading. of the world. It is the world's hatred, right? Or right. I mean, if it was your hatred of the world, right? That's that would what I'm be saying. different. And I always read that as like, wait, why am I? And then I'd read the passage and say that doesn't have anything to do with how I'm supposed to hate the world. <laughs> no, no, it does not. I'm trying to find other passages that'll tell me that. Uh, I gotta look. Where's that section? Um, so, so it's still a heavy thing though, even if it, even if you understand it properly as the world's hatred of us, it is still a very obviously heavy thing. It is. And so I did my best to do that, um, under three hours and I nailed it, nailed it. Yeah. If anybody wonders, well, just barely, barely, but I did. People don't often realize that I get, I get times that I've targets that I'm given Robbie, you put those in the outline of the service. There'll be a time allotted for my message. Oh, you noticed those? Yeah. And this last week, it was three hours. And I said, I can do that. 
and I nailed it. So if anybody thinks it was too long, it's actually your fault. Huh. Because you gave me too much time. But we need we need to fact check that, but too late. We don't have time to do that. Too now. late. It's done. So uh so yeah. That was the that was the message this weekend and it did bring up some questions. Understandably as, so. as I would imagine. Yeah. So where do we want to start with these? We should have planned this out. This is why we don't this is why recording on Tuesday is dangerous. <laughs> Um, well, I, I had one question, but you didn't seem too excited about it. So should we, should we not ask that one and, and move on or? No, I think just let's let it all hang out, man. It's Tuesday. It It is Tuesday. You, you know, know what, they, what, say they, you know what they say about Tuesday. Let it all let hang it out. Let it all man. hang out. Mondays for like waking up Tuesday. You're just letting it all hang out. I have a, I have a coffee mug that says that very thing. Yes. Cause it's that common of a phrase. Yeah. Wednesdays hump day. Like, you know. And then uh, Thursday is we're almost there day. Friday, casual Friday, casual Friday. Tuesday's the day though that you say like I'm just letting it all hang out. <laughs> yeah, I have a, lots of coffee mugs like that. I got a world's best boss and a Tuesday let it all hang out mug <laughs> on my desk. This is this is distracting. This is I'm distracted. okay. So ask the question then is the point. So in my the question that I had that you didn't care for was um when when you you mentioned at one point point the importance of if 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 we are called to to raise a banner what is that banner that we raise we only have one thing to raise and 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 you listed several banners which which might come to mind but are not the one that we should raise but that ultimately it should be Christ Christ is um is the primary and and ultimately only banner that we raise and that we that that gets primary submission in our lives. So the the question that I had is for many of us and and I would argue well actually I wouldn't argue this because I would imagine this is true in some form in whatever country or culture that you grow up in because that's what you understand. So we grow up in America and and there's definitely certain ideas of Christianity and and how to be a Christian as we understand that in our culture and it might be difficult to sometimes divide those banners because sometimes like what it means to be a Christian gets gets wrapped up into our cultural understanding. So what would you say to the person who says, hey, I, I was challenged by that. I hear that. I don't, you know, it seems kind of confusing. How do I, how do I raise the banner of Christ when I don't know how to do that other than as an American Christian or as a Republican Christian or as a, you know, whatever fill in the blank of whatever adjective you would add to that. Does that make sense? Well, so here's the reason why I, it's not that I didn't like the question. It's that I, I'm not sure how to answer it. I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what is the, what's the motivation behind that? Because on one hand, it's a very simple, very simple statement that I didn't really expect there to be much confusion on. I, I, I can understand why it's, I can understand how that's ingrained in us, but I, I guess I'm having a hard time understanding why, why that wouldn't be understood that obviously we should not be merging those allegiances. So I, that's where I that's where I struggle with it is that on one hand it's a very short answer of well we belong to Jesus and hmm. our 
all the other roles that we fill are subservient to that. Like we, we, we do those, we fill those roles, we serve in those areas at the behest of our king. Hmm. So when we're called right. to work for the good of our city or to serve or to honor the government officials and to obey them or whatever, that's, that is all because Jesus tells us to do that. If Jesus told us not to do that, then we wouldn't. But I think that, you know, the reason why I, it matters that I'm an American citizen and that I can say, I love the country that I'm in, that I want the best for the country that, that I live in, that I was born in, that, um, that I work in. I, I say all that because I'm called to, to live in that way by Jesus. Yeah. Uh, same way with like our families and basically every relationship. And Jesus says as much when he, when he tells them that these relationships, like he talks about, even in that, in the message we talked about how he says he will, that, that, you know, mother will be turned against daughter and, you know, brother against sister, these different things, these, in these family relationships that there will be, um, these divisions. And when he says also really shocking things, like if you do not hate your mother and your father, you cannot be my disciple. Yeah. And, and that's a really shocking thing, but I think it all illustrates this point that it's not a tension. I don't try, I don't have to think, well, okay, should I honor Christ in this or should I do what's best for our country? There it is. Yeah. It's, it's all of it is in light of my honoring Christ. And if, if I ever get to a place where doing what is best for my country is dishonoring to Christ, well then like, it's not a, it's not a balance. It's right. That's not a tough decision, or at least it should not not be be a tough decision. I'm not saying that it wouldn't feel like a tough decision, right? but we should understand that, but it's not, that it's, it's not, it's not a confusing decision. Right. It It might, it might even be a painful decision because, because much of our culture and what we have grown up to know and understand and, and live in is, is precious to us. Right. So to, to have to decide between, um, you know, my, my, this country that I love in this case, and obviously this is a hypothetical. I don't feel like we're being asked right now to do that. But if, if, if we're put in that place, that scenario that you, that you laid out of, you've got to choose one or the other, that would certainly understandably be a painful decision, um, and, and difficult to do. But as you said, it should not be in any way confusing or difficult to decide, oh, which one, which one should I go with? Is it Jesus or is it, my country, and if I'm feeling that, then I, I would I would argue that I I don't really understand who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So we answered that one, right? Crush That's, it. <laughs> I mean, so why would you say though? Why do you think it's a hard a hard question? For me personally. Um, I would I would say I mean there was a there was a season in in my life where it would have been very difficult for me to separate Christianity from American culture that those those were 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 very ingrained um and and so the the idea of like well it has to be you know what if it's Christ or the country there there I'd be a thought of like you know well obviously I'd choose Jesus but obviously that would never be an issue because they're basically the same thing and 
and that was really the how I how I functioned and and it was so counterintuitive to think of something like if you said okay you've got the 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 flag of Christ waving there what what is the most appropriate flag you know country flag that would be waving next to it I I can tell you I would not picture say the Chinese flag mm-hmm. right that's not what would first come that would be a counterintuitive answer however the reality is there there are some studies and this is very difficult to track right because of the nature of the underground church but um the studies show that there uh, by the end of this decade there will likely be more christians in china than there are in the united states and that if the current growth pattern continues that we are not far from a time when there will be more christians in china than total people in the united states you need to say that again because i i think I think that is such a shocking statistic that, and and yes, I'm aware of that also. Right. I mean, granted, they have a bit of a population advantage there with like yeah. a billion people. But uh, but if the church continues to grow the way it is in China, then we are approaching possibly by the end of this decade, a time when the number of Christians in China will be larger than the total population of the U.S. So, so there is a scenario, there is a, a, a way in which you could say, wow, like there are more Christians there than the United States, so it would make sense to have that. But that is not what we no. what we think. And and so and that's and, and some people might even be made uncomfortable by that idea to think, well, wait a minute, how can how can another country have more Christians than us? And it's because like my what I am comfortable and what I have grown up in has become so interwoven with that with the idea of what it means to be a Christian, it's difficult, especially for people who have not traveled outside of the country and experienced worship in other countries and cultures and people, um, then then it's very difficult to understand how it can even really exist outside of our way of, of doing mm-hmm. that thing. And so I, I just wonder if that is, if, if it's harder for people to, to reconcile that idea of of being willing to set aside and sacrifice all these other things because they are not Christ if it were to come between Christ or that thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, whenever they do surveys on Christianity in the United States, they always have to do a lot of work to try to differentiate cultural Christians from, from like, yes. Christ-following Christians. Right. And I'm not even... I mean, it's hard to even pinpoint that. Sometimes they'll do it by how often you go to attend, you know, how often do you attend church? Um, sometimes they'll do it by how often you read the Bible. Sometimes it'll be based on different views of, you know, do you believe the Bible is authoritative? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? There, there are different ways that they try to get at because they want to separate, okay, it, you can't just in our country say, okay, well, 75% of Christians believe X. Because how do you define Christian? Because in our culture, you could be talking about someone who hasn't ever been to church in their entire life, but they just identify as that. They're, they're, they're Christian because they're not something else. That's what makes the statistic that you mentioned about China even, even more outlandish in my mind, because I don't think they have to do a lot of work in China to figure out, are you culturally Christian? Like, no, because say, there is certainly no cultural benefit to being right. a Christian in China. Right. Certainly not on a grand scale. I suppose that there could be some village where most of the people had come to Christ, and so there could be somebody who jumps on that train. But by and large, that is not something they have to really factor in. And 
and that's an important thing for us to understand because it it's also understood among most people who study just the history of the church most people agree that the united states our country's influence into the christian world into the universal church is waning and coming to a close hmm. like our our position as being one of the most one of the heaviest influencers and over the course of church history certainly you've seen that you've seen every it moves like the 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 center of christian thought and influence has moved all around the world you know it's it obviously started in the middle east um you know around jerusalem and then you know you could argue that it went out to like ethiopia and places like that then it went um you obviously could argue that rome for a long time was the center of that um, then Germany and um, France and Switzerland, like these these places became um, kind of the, the epicenter of Christian influence and thought. And then the UK and then the United States. You know, there was a time where the UK is like, that's all all the best theological voices came from yeah. the UK. And, and now you'd say in this era, if you're talking about famous authors and people who are uh, teachers, who are influential and where are most of, where is that influence coming from it's definitely been from the united states for for better and for worse for some really great reasons and some not not as great reasons but that is coming to a close it is like they can see the end on it and the global south is definitely where people believe that the that the next in in another generation or two the most influential voices are going to come from places like south america oh. or um south africa like these are and so um i don't know what all of that means but part of it means that yeah this idea that these things are all linked somehow are they're just not and we have to know how fleeting all of these things are and that mm -hmm. there there may be seasons where um you know a particular political party is is um maybe helpful or a particular nation seems to be really you know behind um the kingdom and, and kingdom purposes but whenever that happens, it's fleeting. Like it, it yep. doesn't last. That, and so we just have to be kind of oriented around the idea that obviously our when we say things like we have no other king but Jesus, which I heard that a lot from people around the election. Like, okay, no, I know Jesus still sits on the throne. He is my king. My citizenship is in heaven. These are phrases we throw out there that are biblical phrases. All I'm saying is we need to mean those. Yes. And that's essentially yeah, all yes. I was saying in the sermon was like, you you all say these things. We all say these things. We just have never been forced to have to mean it. Right. And, and when, when I, we mean it, there's freedom in that. Yeah. Right? There's delight. These, this, is, this should not be bad news to, to feel like, wow, what, what if in you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, Africa is the center of global Christianity, which it's moving in that direction like they're sending an extraordinary amount of of missionaries to southeast asia and and uh, even to the united states which i think is awesome yeah um like and but that that is extraordinarily good news right because scripture says that kingdoms come and go that kings fall and 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 that ultimately turn to dust but the word of the lord remains forever like the fact that it can move the epicenter can move from country to country all around the world is just a beautiful picture of how the kingdom of god transcends all of this right like it doesn't ultimately mm -hmm. matter what happens in any individual country because it doesn't it's not even a speed bump 
in in the transmission of the gospel and the spreading of the kingdom and the effect that it has. He just God uses whatever happens to be influential in that culture yeah. at that time, right? So when Rome is the the most influential, arguably the, the one of the most influential empires at the time, he uses that in in glorious ways to to spread the gospel and and he's going to continue to do that. Yeah, and I mean Tim Keller has pointed out that it's that's one of the unique things about the gospel is that Christianity is the only religion that can say that the epicenter of their faith has moved across the globe, that it's moved across culture, mm-hmm. across, across ethnicities, across geographical places. Every other major religion is tied to a most times a physical place um, and then often a, a an entire culture. So a, a way a, like a way of dress, a way of speaking, a way of government, a way of like it, it's it's attached to all those things, but Christianity has spread and and been influenced or has has influenced and then had its epicenter in a huge array of governmental systems and um, ethnicities and physical locations. It's it's what it's part of what makes it so unique. Mm-hmm. Why it's different. If you hear that and and you've tuned out for the last twenty minutes, uh, sorry about that. But if you've listened to that and 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 you're excited and interested in that, please let us know because we can definitely send some resources your way. There's guys who are immeasurably more intelligent than the two of us, and and who spend a lot of time studying these kind of cultural movements of the church. Um, guys like Mark Sayers uh, mm-hmm. that 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 we would definitely recommend uh, you listening to because it's it's really fascinating and I find it immeasurably encouraging. Yeah. So I, we, we spent like 25 minutes on the question 25? that we weren't going to ask. So well, That's what happens when you bait me with. Do you want me to ask the question that you didn't like? Well, of course now I do. Yeah, you sure do. All right, let's grab so, it. Okay, so here's another, here's another yeah. question. You got a question on, uh, on Sunday that uh, that I thought was would be really helpful to unpack. So you had someone come up to you and, and ask you, can love be an idol? And I think I think there's a couple different answers to that that I would love to hear from you. Well, okay. So I, can I, I need to join in with the other question with that because it okay. was then, um, and you helped me kind of clarify this, that it was attached then also to, but what about when Jesus gets angry? Yeah. Which is a legitimate question. I mean, of course, uh, when we talk about... Um, and I tried to talk about that dis- that tension a little bit on Sunday where we say, Jesus, did he come to bring peace or did he come to not bring peace? Because yeah. he um, he phrased it better than that. Um, to come to, not to come to, whatever. Um, is he pro-peace or anti-peace? It seems it's, like both. And, and we have to hold those <laughs> things in tension in these different ways. And the same thing goes with, okay, we're talking about um, love and uh, this clear commandment that if we do not love our brother, we cannot love God. Um, that that we are that we will be known by our love for one another. That that is the commandment He gives to us. And so I think the question really is about: Is it possible to overemphasize love? And then, as an example, saying, "Well, Jesus gets angry. He fashions a whip and turns over tables in the temple and like cracks the whip. Like that doesn't uh-huh. that doesn't seem very loving." Um, and so, yeah, there are a couple different angles of this. Um, number one, I would say it is important to say that anything can be 
perverted and become an idol. Like, right. So if you're, if you have a bad definition of love, like if your definition of love is always saying whatever the other person is going to receive as supportive or kind, you know, what they're going to see as that, well then that's, you're actually getting into people pleasing, which we're told not to do. So that, that's not really love to just tell somebody always what they want to hear. Um, but I think, so that, so that's one thing. I, I don't know if you would say something else to that, Robbie, as far as just like, but love, I guess I would say this, that love as God deems it, as God is manifested as, because God is love, that can't become an idol, I don't think. Would you say that it can? No, I, I would argue... I would argue that any, as you said, anything can become an idol when we distort it from its, from its created purpose. But that, to say, l- loving, as Christ loved, and as the Father intends us, and as the Spirit empowers us, can can become idolatrous. I would argue, we're, then we're using words wrong. Which is your least favorite thing in the world. It is among my least favorite things in the world. <laughs> I suppose I shouldn't say it's, it's very much high on that list. Based based on the number of times it comes up, it feels like it may be the <laughs> Yeah. So I think you're right though. Like we we are we aren't using words correctly. And so we know that it's not like when Jesus casts demons out, he's not being unloving. Like so there is right. a there is a love that it is, is actually because of love that wrath true wrath comes like true anger so when we talk about jesus being angry it is it is because of his love and so certainly right. someone hurts my child that i i'm angrier about that because of my deep love for them and so there love is not like every time we just try to simplify that definition of just being like well it means it means just being nice to everybody all the time well that's that's not actually what it means now being loving would mean being kind and that actually goes to then this whole idea of, okay, well, what about when Jesus is fashioning a whip and turning over tables? Right. Um, here's the thing with that. I think this is really important. It's a great question. It comes up in my mind a lot when I knew we were going to be talking about this. I figured somebody's going to ask this. But what I find often is that people will then um, justify unloving behavior by pointing to instances like, Jesus turning over the tables in the temple and saying, well, even Jesus did this. So therefore it's okay that I just berated this person or I got really angry at this person because Jesus also did that. And we'll also use things like, well, you know, it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. So it doesn't say you can't get angry. Um, Jesus says, be angry and do not sin. He doesn't. So he's saying like, it's possible to be angry and not sin. And to that, I would say, yes, that's true. But I would ask the question, how often does Jesus do things like that? Like in the three years of ministry that we have recorded, I can count on one hand the number of times that I look at what Jesus is doing and saying, that dude is angry. (laughs) Yeah. The the temple, like certainly in the temple, the two times he does that in the temple that's recorded. Um, I think he's angry at death when Lazarus is raised, raised from the grave. And though a lot of our translations don't do a great job of capturing that, but there is like an, there's an anger there at death. 
I'm trying to think of other times. Maybe with a demon. Uh, but even yeah, then, he doesn't even seem doesn't angry seem at the demons. Most, like it, most it of the time, they, no. They don't. Yeah, they don't really rile him up. He just tells him to yeah. stop it. Um, I mean, he gets he gets angry uh, at the Pharisees when they right. when they accuse when they basically are are treating the suffering human like a theological debate. Right. Um, he is he's not pleased about that. So 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 that's one that's one thing I'd want everybody like I'd want us to think about is how often. So if you if somebody comes up to me and we all know people like this, right? Like there are people who rarely get angry. And when they do, everybody takes notice, right? So if you're a person who you got angry and you feel badly because you got angry about this this thing and it's the first time in 3 years you've gotten angry, well, you know, maybe that's that's possible that's Christ like. I think if if every week or every day you find something that's worthy of tossing tables over, um, I would say that that is a good sign that you are not you are not expressing that in the way of Jesus. Be- it's it's difficult to to defend that as Christ likeness. No, yeah. So that's that's just one thing. So let's look at how his life is like. Is that a common occurrence or is that a really rare occurrence? And then you have to ask like. And what, what is it that makes him so angry? Um, like selfish anger is never, that's, that's never what Jesus exercises. Never. And, and so what he's angry at is he seems to be most angry. The times when his anger is actually drawn up is when people who claim to be religious put stumbling blocks before other people. Right. That's like in, in that's the right. temple, they're exploiting the poor. Uh, in in the issue of him, of the the Pharisees getting bummed that he healed the man, they are they have zero concern for suffering, right? Uh, I mean, it's never he he is constantly berated and accused of all kinds of things, and that's never the stuff that makes him angry. Yeah, he's never angry about the way he's treated. Ever, his his only response to the way he's treated is either forgiveness or silence. So, so that would be another thing is if you're thinking, okay, well, aren't sometimes, aren't we supposed to speak out and be, um, and be what the world would look at and say like, oh, I didn't feel very loving. And I would say, okay, look at, let's look at frequency. Let's look at, um, let's look at who, like, who are we upset with and why? And, and so I do think that there are things to be angry about in our world um, and I think that those are not, that's not mutual. And, and so that thing goes to, it's not mutually exclusive with love. It's not like Jesus paused being loving so that he could be angry. It right. is going back to that original point of it is his love for those he came to save. It is his love for them that causes him to be angry at those who would be a stumbling block between them and God. Yeah. And, I would argue that's that's the most important point and the part that makes it most difficult because I, it's difficult for me to understand outside of my own experience, right? So I, I understand that at times I feel loving and at times I feel angry or wrathful. And those seem like, hmm. you know, there's a time for one and there's a time for the other. And if I'm feeling the one, I am not feeling the other. And so I... I 
anthropomorphize God. I make I I I make him human essentially, and and ascribe human attributes to him, and assume, well, that's exactly what he's doing. So when Jesus is expressing anger, he is obviously paused, loving, and and is now expressing anger, and then goes back to feeling loving. But that that is a fundamental misunderstanding of biblical love and arguably God, right? Because First John is quite clear. It says God is love, not he feels loving, which he does, but but he is. It is an ontological statement. It's a it's a it's a statement of being. Right. It's who he is. So he doesn't just sometimes feel love and sometimes feel something else. It is it is part of what defines his very his very being. So everything he does emanates from love so there is there is no point that that and because everything that jesus does he says is is from the father there is no point that jesus does anything that is not emanating from love he never stops doing that it, i mean i would argue and you can push back if you think this is this is goofy but but when you're talking about god is love when we ask things like well you know, can we some shouldn't we sometimes not focus on his love? Like, shouldn't we, you know, can we over focus on his love? Like, in essence, we're saying, isn't it better if sometimes we believe that God is not God? Like, can we can we over focus on his deity? Like, that's yeah. that's part of who he is. And so, if I say, like that, where I, I shouldn't focus on that aspect of who God is, or I believe sometimes he is not who he is. He is somehow less than what he, than what he is. Then that's a much more dangerous statement than just like, eh, isn't it okay that I mouthed off to that person? I had a good reason for it. Like if I'm then saying like, yeah, because sometimes, you know, God isn't God either. And, and and while we would never say it out loud, obviously that's right. that's functionally what we're saying because God's love is not an emotion that He occasionally feels. It is it is somehow and and too big for my brain to understand, but somehow wrapped up into His very being. He is the definition of that thing, which is a hard thing to grasp. Which is though why it is so consistent in Scripture that that's how people will know we belong to Him. Yes. Yes, it it's never it's just not debated on what is the most what is the what is the thing that people pointed to to say, oh, you must belong to this Jesus. And it is always love. And I know that that, you know, people want to say, like, well, can't you take that too far? That is our that is our concern, because we always like to balance, try to balance things. But I would say no. And I would say that it's it's one of those things where, like I said, we we. Our, our the frequency of our anger and our the um, direction of our anger is typically hmm. off. It just hmm. isn't it isn't keeping with Christ. At least in my life, I can I can say that. I anytime I think like, well, Jesus got angry too. I'm typically like I got to look at that and say, yeah, that was pretty infrequent, especially for somebody that walked around always knowing all the things he should be angry about. I mean, you think about you and I only know a fraction of the things that would actually make us angry as far as sin is concerned. But Jesus walks around always having a reason to be angry. Yeah. Like he would be like the grumpiest sitcom dad ever if that was like a normal, if that was the way that it works. Like, right. you know, be angry if there's something to be angry about. That's not, that's not the thing. 
but um so the frequency but then just the misguided he just is not he's not angry at his oppressors he's not angry at the secular world he is angry um he is angry at those who claim to know god but keep others from him yeah i don't know that if if something can come up with another time where he is angry um that doesn't that doesn't relate to that then i would love to hear it but it's not and i just think if if that was what we reserved our anger for that's why when people wonder like why do you get so riled up about um you know about the the children being turned away at the border for example because the church has been so silent about it i'm upset with the church like people say like well i'm angry at this president or that president like i'm going "Ah, okay fine like be you know expect more from them want them to do something contact their offices or whatever but it's the church that i say how can we turn a blind eye to that i looked and looked and looked for church organizations that were doing something about it and you know churches and local churches in the area and other efforts and there were very few there was like one that i found um but it just those are the kinds of things that i feel like we should we should care about now that goes on a whole different tangent yeah. and it's probably going <laughs> to, you're probably regretting that I said something about that. And really it goes more to than the stumbling block from the gospel. Like, so when, when we choose, and this is this the last thing I'll say about the whole anger thing, it in, in our, what we see as our own righteous anger about things, ironically ends up becoming the stumbling block that Jesus gets angry at. So if I, in my, in my, I, I think that I have this righteous anger because of this sin I see out in the world. If by doing that, I end up condemning the one that God is saving and calling to himself, but they now look at the church as a place that they can't go. Then I would say that what we are deeming as a righteous anger is actually the stumbling block that Jesus gets angry at. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think so. So I just yeah, because if because if my if my reason for wanting to feel that righteous right, if I feel like the right thing to do in this moment is to feel you know anger toward this person, not love or compassion, what like what is my what's my biblical argument for that? I mean, I, I would assume it's something along the lines of like, well, this person is going to get away with this sin because I love them too much and have too much compassion on them, and so I don't want to do that. Right. I mean, otherwise, what is the like, what, what, what is the, the biblical argument for me being angry? Right. Well, I don't want that person. I don't like we talked about last week. I don't want that. I don't want to condone that sin that's in that person's life. And so but but then all I end up doing is ensuring that person will not be impacted by the gospel because I refuse to demonstrate love or compassion, which, as you said, is the very thing that Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees for. Correct. That was a good summary of that. Thanks. I'm just going to stop talking now because we need to wrap this up. That's a good idea. Why don't you wrap us up today? What? I always do that part. No, you don't. Last time we talked about this. All right, whatever. Hey, thanks for joining us. <laughs> you seem a little amped up. Are We're you okay, buddy? I'm, I'm hungry. I'll make you a latte. I'm famished. Um, I've gotten hangry. Now that's a whole different ballgame. Welcome to the party. Yeah, that's this is your hangry. If people knew you, this would be like, wait, Robbie. This is me. Listen to how hangry I am right now. (laughs) 
You do it. You finish it. That's what that's, that was your anger coming out. You you wrap it up. All right, fine. Thanks everybody for listening to us. I hope that it's been helpful. Um, as always, please don't be afraid to send in your questions. Um, if if there are things that you're wondering about, and and we we would love to be able to address those. And uh, yeah, I think I'm really terrible at this part, Robbie. I thought you were doing great, buddy. I started second-guessing myself. Oh, no, you were doing awesome. I was like, man, this is the worst. No one's going to feel wrapped up. (laughs) They're going to feel left there. So join us next time on the Faith Church Podcast. (laughs) 